unfortunately, because so many women suffer in silence, we are unable to help each other because we feel like we can't share when we're hurting or when we're in pain. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. It is time to give yourself permission to be vulnerable by sharing your story to empower, inspire, and support other women going through life transformation. Vulnerability is brave. Your story matters. What's your story? This podcast is devoted bringing you motivation and inspiration from our community of like-minded people. Hello and welcome to the Story Podcast. This is your host, Dr. Christine Manukian. I'm a functional medicine practitioner, business coach, author, speaker, lifestyle entrepreneur, and a mom of two. In 2020, right before my 40th birthday, my life took a complete 180 when I realized I needed to leave my job as a clinical pharmacist and start my own business journey. I was tired of choosing between family and career. After experiencing my own health transformation, losing over 100 pounds and becoming a natural bodybuilding athlete with a six pack and a marathon runner, I found my true calling, empowering others to reach their health goals without pharmaceuticals. Each week, I'll be bringing you incredible guests to help you feel empowered to live your best life. I believe everyone deserves a second chance to rewrite their story and become the best version of themselves. Together, let's end the stigma of being afraid to share our story. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the Story Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me another week and listening to all these incredible women I get to have conversations with. I am beyond grateful for all of my guests sharing their stories to empower, inspire, and support other women going through life transformation. I couldn't be more excited to introduce you to my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Christina Madison. She's the founder and CEO of The Public Health Pharmacist, which is a professional LLC and she is killing it. This woman has been featured in like hundreds and thousands of, I don't even know how many TV shows she is doing the do. She's the voice and the advocate for public health. She's a clinical pharmacist specializing in public health with a focus of infectious communicable disease. Dr. Madison is currently the director of Roseman University of Health Sciences, COVID-19 vaccine operations, logistics, distribution, and administration as well as the point of contact for the state of Nevada for COVID vaccines. She has personally facilitated the administration of over 5,700 doses of COVID-19 vaccine in her community since January of 2021. Wow, can we all take a pause and like celebrate that? And she's a huge advocate for public health and helping everyone in her profession of pharmacy to improve their health and wellness for all the folks, especially those who are vulnerable and those who are underserved is her passion and mission in life. So I couldn't be more excited to welcome you to the Story Podcast. You are incredible. And I know we were just having conversation before I even started the recording. And literally the last 10 minutes, you taught me so much. So thank you for that. (laughs) 
cannot wait to hear more and really spread the knowledge and the skills that you have and your passion for public health is so contagious. So welcome to the Story Podcast, my dear. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. I think that this is such a wonderful platform that you've created and sort of making space for other women to support other women. Uh, You know, what a worthy cause to have. And it's just such an admirable thing that you're doing, not only for women, but for women pharmacists. So thank you again for the opportunity to come on and and talk about my journey and hopefully help some of your listeners. Yes, not only hopefully, I know it will be because your voice and your story is so powerful. And I'm telling you, like you just literally taught me so many things. I was like, oh my gosh, where were you before? (laughs) We're now stepping into this entrepreneurship world. And this is the power of networking and connecting with everyone because there's always something you're going to learn from the person that's in front of you. You just have to be open to asking questions and learning and receiving it when they're delivering that. So Christina, I'm so grateful for you to be on the show today. And I wanted to actually ask you if there was a fun fact that you would love to share with our listeners that someone may not even know you have. Is there anything that comes to mind? Well, some people may or may not know this. I actually was a professional cheerleader before I went to pharmacy school. Oh, wow. Okay. That's fun. Have you had any broken bones or anything like that? Any drama? Uh, Sprained ankles and lots of sprained wrists. And then as an adult in my 30s, I actually took up belly dancing and aerial fitness and uh, got to the point um, actually right before I had my first child uh, that I was actually performing um, with a troupe here in town in Las Vegas because everyone's an entertainer here in Las Vegas and so did a few exhibitions so I have some of those photos and things and interestingly enough when I met my spouse um, he's also very into fitness I corralled him into coming Um, to a couple of my aerial fitness classes. And we have um, actually one of my favorite photos of the two of us is him um, basing me um, in an aerial um, uh, acrobatic uh, Uh position. And so it's the two of us and we're both circus kids at heart. And I've got two little circus kids at home that both like to flip and be in the air. And yeah, so those are some of the the fun little things that I don't think a lot of people know, but it's definitely something I think I'm, I was a performer in a former life and somehow I'm striving to somehow incorporate that into my world, even though science is my jam. So. (laughs) Oh my God, this is fun. I'm like smiling ear to I was like, what? That is really cool. And, And do you feel like that's your therapy when you need to get out of this reality? Like, is that what you're using? Yeah, absolutely. I would say physical fitness and obviously organized fitness and group fitness classes right now are a little bit challenging because of the pandemic Mm -hmm. was definitely my therapy. At the time when I started doing it, I had actually had a really bad breakup and it was a way for me to regain my body and my agency because I didn't really feel good about myself. And so having a bunch of strong, powerful women bearing their midriff and just being open and free with their bodies and their sensuality and their sexuality. It just, it was really, it was really empowering. And I think that's exactly what I needed. um, Because again, so much of my self-worth, I think was kind of wrapped up into the relationship that unfortunately ended. Um, Granted, it was probably the best thing that ever happened to me because that's uh, you know, what allowed for me to meet my, my now spouse and, and have my two wonderful children that are uh, age three and five. So uh, I am a firm believer that all things happen as they are meant to. 
and that you truly get what you put out into the universe. So if you are putting out positivity and you are engaging in the world in a way that is grateful and thankful and with purpose, then you will continue to get those back in spades. Wow. Amen. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And yes, everything that you focus on, you're going to find. And like you said, like the right people will come into your life, the right moment. And you're like, whoa, just even just right now, having this conversation right before we were recording, I'm like, where were you in my life? I needed this (laughs) to hear this. And you're so incredible. I love it. Well, remember the, the, actually the reason why we connected was because of the fact that someone else that I mm-hmm. had recently interviewed on my own podcast, that's part of the pharmacy podcast network recommended that you talk to me. So I think again, it's, it's not just, mm-hmm. you know, those connections that you leverage from yourself. It's also thinking about uh, recommending other women to other women. Right. And yep. so I'm sure you're probably okay with me saying uh, who our mutual contact is Sandra Leal. She's the new uh, president of APHA. And she is also someone who I'm so an admiring of and the work that she's doing. She's just a phenomenal leader in our profession. And I can't be more excited for what she's going to do with her presidency. And again, you know, you guys were having a conversation and Mm -hmm. she suggested that you reach out. And so I thank her. I thank her for that as well. But I think oftentimes we get so bogged down in our own trajectory, in our Mm -hmm. own journey, we forget to bring people along the way. And I always want to make sure that I'm trying my best and doing my best to bring others along Mm -hmm. for the ride. And you never know, that person may secede you, that person Mm -hmm. may be a partner for you. You you never know. But ultimately, you know, if you see someone who's in need, even if you're not the one that can meet that need, why not recommend that somebody that you like, know, and trust? Because that's really what it's all about, knowing and trusting people and that word of mouth. That's how we get things done because the resume and the CV is really out the window. Like you getting a job, you getting that opportunity, that next consulting contract, that next client, that next patient that may need some assistance, that's going to come from someone else introducing them to you. So the power of connection, the power of making a meaningful connection with someone, I can't overstate that. And it's definitely something that we shouldn't discount. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And I remember it was my first time meeting Sandra and it was just such a it just literally came out of her mouth because I was sharing the passion that I have with changing our lives and creating this like a brand new like platform for public health, functional medicine, just like thinking outside of the box and being the voice for our profession in a non-traditional way. You know what I mean? We're, we're still the unicorns in our profession, let's be honest, which is good. We're like setting the path for like a lot more people to follow. But again, she was like, you have to talk to her. She's like doing exactly. You guys will align. I was like, hold on, that name is familiar. I think we're following each other, but we have not connected yet. But again, it just really takes that opportunity to share like what you're passionate about, what you're doing, because like you said, you may not have all the answers. You may know someone who can help them, right? And there's nothing wrong with like asking, hey, I need help. Who do you know that can help me, whether it's you or someone else? And it doesn't have to be so complicated or it doesn't have to be so embarrassing to ask for help and recommendations. I mean, Let's just get over it and let's just be open and share, right? And network, which is the power of our lives for sure. So connecting us like today. (laughs) So yeah, no, absolutely. And asking for help is not a vulnerability, right? Asking for help 
is actually an asset because that means you know enough to know when you need to reach out to someone else. And, you know, I was reading this book recently, um, actually a good, good friend and colleague of mine, her name is Sue Paul. You probably mm-hmm. know her. She's a serial entrepreneur like yourself. You know, she has the PGX 101, Metapreneurs, and she's got all of these things. Uh, Synergy uh, was like one of the first companies mm-hmm. that she founded. And she and I have been talking and I complain all the time about feeling like I'm being undervalued or that I do things for free. And I'm always like, no, when am I going to, you know, find an instance where someone values my time, values my expertise and chooses to pay me for it. Right. And I struggle with that, even though I feel like I'm called to do this work. And she said, you need to read this book. And I said, okay. So she sends me this book I get it in the mail. It's a totally, total surprise. I'm like, who sent me this book? And it literally took me over a month and a half to read it, but I'm so glad that I had an opportunity to read it. It's called The Go-Giver. And it talks about this thought process that how you present to the world and what you expect is what you will receive. And when you give, you actually get more in return. So giving is actually the secret. That's the secret sauce that you give things away. And ultimately when you do that, and you give, but you give with purpose, you will be able to reap those benefits. And wow. it was really eye-opening. And I, a true believer, things happen then as they are meant to. And I think that, you know, Sue was put in my path mm-hmm. for a reason. I think that you were put in my path for a reason. I think Sandra was put in my path for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm really hopeful that my expertise will be able to be utilized, especially during this pandemic, because of the fact that it's kind of, you said we were a unicorn, right? So I'm this really interesting mix of somebody who spent a ton of their time at their professional career in public health, but then also somebody who has an entrepreneurial mind, mm-hmm. and then also somebody who truly cares about and wants to facilitate the needs of a vulnerable population. And I'm wrapped up in this black woman package. So it's like all of these things kind of converging together. And at some point, I think that representation matters. Representation matters. Having a female voice, it truly matters when it comes to health and wellness. Because we know women are often more caring, often more compassionate, are more willing to be problem solvers and coalition building. And that's what we need. We need consensus. We need coalitions and we need partnerships. It's these community partnerships that's going to help us to get out of this pandemic. And it's those partnerships that are going to lead us to transforming our healthcare system to focus on the individual and their whole health and wellness and not just treating one pill for every ill. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. And so much. Yes. And I feel like we're starting a movement. Not, I feel like I know we're starting a movement and I'm so glad we're talking about this because yes, we have our background and training in this, we're doing this, but then we see the vision where we're going and it takes a lot of people to get the movement going, right? Like we can't do this alone. And this is the power of like connecting. And one of my biggest missions is to bless like 1 million women around the world, somehow health, wellness, like it doesn't matter, like wealth creation, it doesn't matter. If I touched 1 million lives during my podcast, during my interviews, whatever it is, like that's my goal. So I have big dreams. I have big vision and I'm not just settling into US and, you know, <laughs> global it's a global movement because somebody who is, you know, living in 
Australia probably is going through the same thing as we are. Cause like you said, we're all women, we're all human. And especially we sometimes forget to take care of ourselves. And I think most of us go through that health transformation too, as we're trying to hustle every single day, going through our own journeys. And as a parent, as a you know business person, whatever you're doing in your life, you always forget about yourself because sometimes you may feel like, oh, I don't have time. Like I don't have time. It's like always give, give, give without like time out. It's my time now. So do you feel like there was a time in your life when you felt like you were just like, whether you were burnt out or whether you were just kind of like lost and like are asking yourself like, oh, is this it? Like, have you had one of those like moments when you were just like, oh, what is going on? I got to change something. I got to do something. Anything you can share with us? Yeah, absolutely. I would say first and foremost, you know, the pandemic was the great equalizer. So everyone in the entire world is sharing in this collective grief. And it's the grief of dreams that have been delayed or deferred. But remember, a dream delayed is not a dream that is broken. So it's delayed, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be gone forever. And so that collective grief and that collective struggle is something that I think that we're going to be struggling with for a while. But with that being said, because everyone is in the same boat, I think it is the great equalizer because we're all in the same playing field. Um, Some of us have been able to adapt and pivot more than others. And then as far as the question, you know, have I felt burnt out? Have I felt, you know, things were not going well? All the time. I mean, I suffered just like every other high functioning type A female boss babe with imposter syndrome. We all suffer from it. And it's because we sometimes can't get out of our own way to see that the forest through the trees, because we're so focused on everything being perfect and that it's somehow, you know, our fault if something goes wrong or, you know, we don't deserve what we get. No, you deserve it. Don't let anybody dull your shine. Yep. No, <laughs> you know, like you deserve it. You are worth it. You are strong. You are capable. You are able. You are enough. I have to remind myself of that all the time. And it's a constant struggle. I think mental health and in particular mental health in the black community has always been very stigmatized. Mm-hmm. And so I had older parents, grandparents, um, you know, extended family, all not talk about mental health and mental health challenges. And I think that unfortunately made it more difficult for me when I struggled with those thoughts of depression, anxiety, not feeling like I was enough. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with therapy. Again, something else that's also been stigmatized because if you're in therapy, then obviously that means something's wrong with you. Absolutely not true. You know, one of my first experiences with the mental health, my mental health challenge was when I had that initial breakup that I told you about. Mm -hmm. So I went to a mental health professional and they full on told me if you're able to continue to work and you're still doing activities of daily living, they were like, why are you here? You're still high functioning. And I'm like, are you joking? Mm -hmm. Like I was in such distress and I was crying every day and they're like, it's just a breakup, get over it. And I was like, what? So Again, that was my first experience with a mental health professional and it stigmatized me. And ever since then, I've been so hesitant to even talk about it. But again, I think it's important to say out loud that I've 
had challenges with my mental health. I consistently checking in with myself. I check in with my spouse. I have a child that's on the autism spectrum. Being the parent of a special needs child is extraordinarily stressful. I'm very lucky that my son um, is doing well and has responded very well to therapy, but we also had to make a decision to have my husband stay home full time with him and with my daughter. And so we needed to have one parent at home. And so being the breadwinner of my entire family is extraordinarily stressful. And when it's time to think about, do I take this opportunity? Do I not take this opportunity? Is it a way for me to establish another stream of income? Those decisions are very different than they were when my husband was working, right? And and unfortunately, I'm always stressed. I'm, I'm always tired. I always do it with a smile on my face, but most people are like, oh, things look like they're going so well. And I'm like, yep, that's exactly what I want you to see. You know, but that's not real life. And I am grateful and thankful and appreciative. And I tell my spouse every day. I tell my mom that helps us out. I tell my mother-in-law, I tell my brother-in-law. I am constantly thanking them because I would not be able to do as many things as I do if it was not for the support system I have. But it's also because I asked for help. Yeah. And that, that being in that space and being that vulnerable and crying and saying, I can't do it. I can't do it all. That was really hard. It was really hard. And it was right around the time that I formed my business and we had made the decision for my husband to stay home full time. And my son was starting to get better, but he was still having a lot of challenges. And I just broke down and I said, there's gotta be something. There's gotta be something more than this. And, you know, my job wasn't really fulfilling me. Like I was working, I was helping students, I was mentoring, but I still felt like something was missing. Mm -hmm. Felt like I was destined for more. I know that sounds really cheesy, but like, I just felt like I had a higher calling and a higher purpose. And I was like, I, I need to find a way to share my voice and to tell people that I have value and that I can create value and be able to make it profitable. And at least maybe even not even profitable, just revenue generating so that I have an extra cushion so that I can have a little bit more security for my family. Wow. And you're going to get me uh, very emotional because you touched upon mental health, which is something that I don't talk about because I'm always, I was always worried of how I'm also going to be judged because my own dad had huge mental health issues. And that's one, that was the reason why my parents separated and him being a doctor back home and us moving to us. I was 16. I was a teenager for him to let go of his like high paid prestigious job and starting from scratch in a country we don't speak the language. And it was just a lot. He didn't know how to handle and maybe it was a cultural thing. Nobody talks about it. So in our culture to like, oh my gosh, if you say you're depressed or you have any mental health issues, like, oh my gosh, like you, like we can't talk to it. Just like, you don't even mention that. So for the long time, I like, I was growing up in the household. I didn't realize all this dark sides of my parents having these challenges And I was a teenager. I mean, I should have understood what's going on. But again, since I was never exposed to that, I didn't know what this looked like or the signs and warning signs. And of course, stigma being behind it too, like asking for help. And next thing you know, things got worse and worse and worse to the point it was like abusive, like mental health. You know what I mean? It wasn't just like, 
physical, but it was also like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like our family is like being like stuck in this like weird situations, like has to make a decision. Like, you know, we can't live with someone who has like such a like violence in our household. You know what I mean? It's becoming dangerous for us too. And making that decision. And I never really talked about that growing up, like high school, undergrad. This is actually the first time I'm talking about this even on my podcast. So Thank you for giving me the strength. I might be crying right now for actually talking about that. And the fact that you talked about the stigma is so important. And I think that's why there was a calling in me too. Like you said, like you were meant for so much more. And I know I was meant for so much more to create this podcast. And that was specifically for women letting go of the stigma to share their stories so they can empower and inspire other people that are going through the same transformation. And sometimes, again, it's so hard to say those words it took me a while to say those words, but you put me in that position of like feeling comfortable to share for the first time of the background of my parents and what happened and me really owning it because now I'm the voice of like, you know what? It's okay to ask for help like we're talking about. And the same thing too with my own personal journey too, like me being ashamed to say that mommy lost all this weight. She needs a mommy makeover because I was going to be judged that old, that surgery cost my life. I was bleeding to death, praying God for give me a second chance so I can live again. Because I was so afraid to tell people like, hey, I'm having surgery. You know what I mean? It was just one of those things is like stigma, stigma, stigma. So I'm so glad we're talking about this and more women need to own their stories. Like we're always talking and I know we still have a lot of work to do because every now and then I'll have someone to like, apologizing me to say like I'm gonna tell you something but please don't judge me I'm like stop don't even say that sentence get that out of your vocabulary why do you have to apologize to someone before you say something I'm like no no be okay like you said like own your story and just you know you're meant for so much more and I want to take this to the next level and you've been blessing so many people's lives during this crazy world pandemic can you tell us a little bit more about your involvement and what you've been doing? I know we've talked about so many thousands of thousands of doses of vaccine being admitted. It's, it's a huge thing, you guys. Those of you who are not in this industry, you may not understand what we're talking about. But let me just tell you, this is a stress in a whole new level. Whole new yeah, level. So first and foremost, I just want you to know I see you, I hear you. And I empathize with you. So I want to acknowledge that. And I want you to feel affirmed in your journey and your space and know that you are seen and you are heard. And I greatly appreciate your candor and you sharing that because I'm sure it will help someone. Unfortunately, because so many women suffer in silence, we are unable to help each other because we feel like we can't share when we're hurting or when we're in pain. So I just wanted to say that first. Thank you. I know I'm getting teared at right now. (laughs) It's okay to cry. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. Well that, and then to stop apologizing. Right. So like I even told myself that too, like that was something that I made a conscious effort and I, I made, you know, I told myself this year, I'm like, I'm going to stop apologizing and not even just stop apologizing, but like stop apologizing and writing. Right. So I, unfortunately, passive aggressive, people do this to you all the time. Like, Mm -hmm. did you blah, blah, blah? Have you gotten this in? And you know what? I deadlines are challenging for me. And I, I tell you, I will take on whatever you're asking me, but just know that you may not get it on the exact day that you need it 
or, you know, give me some grace, right? Give me some grace, give me some space. Cause you're literally one on the list of a thousand right now. And, <laughs> and it's not to say that I'm like so much more important than you, but I'm just giving you honesty. And I tell people that, you know, right up front. So I've stopped apologizing. I do yeah. not say any, I do not say the word apologize or sorry in any written communication. And I will tell yeah. you, it has been so freeing, so freeing. So with that being said, the question um, that you asked me is about, you know, the vaccine effort. Mm-hmm. And so it's something I'm extremely proud of. Um, it has been definitely a labor of love. And so in December of last year, I was contacted by the public health department. Uh, I spent about a decade of my career embedded in our county health department. And then about three years ago, I transitioned to a family medicine clinic that caters to the LGBTQ community. And that kind of goes back to my love of sexual health and people knowing their body and their agency and advocating for women and girls that have been victims of sex trafficking and including my trans brothers and sisters. So, you know, it was a really good fit for me, but it's also very much related to public health, right? So because of that relationship and because I still do projects for the health department every year, even since I've got, you know, I left the health department, I still help them with their back to school immunization clinics because it's such a, an operation to get all of these parents in, get their kids vaccinated and out the door. And so I would always have my student pharmacists come and help out. They would help do vaccine records. They would check the records, make sure that the parents knew what vaccines were indicated. So they do vaccine forecasting. They would actually do help with vaccine administration. So, you know, those were things that we would do kind of these little small mini projects for the health department, but, you know, we didn't really do anything on a grand scale, right? So that was really like maybe, you know, three weeks out of the year in August, getting all the kids ready to go back to school. Well, obviously the pandemic hit and things were crazy. And so the first thing that they asked me to do was to help to get people vaccinated against influenza. And so that was kind of a dry run for COVID. And so I went out to community organizations. I went to our local AIDS advocacy agency. I did a vaccine clinic at my family medicine practice, catered to my LGBTQ community. I did uh, vaccines at my gay and lesbian center at, you know, a place that is a food pantry that gives out, you know, donations and addiction medicine clinics. So all these places where people, you know, you have to go where the people are, you have to meet them where they are, right? You have to go to people's jobs. You have to go to where they are, because if they, if you don't go, then they're not going to get vaccinated. And we had gotten CARES Act money to be able to provide flu vaccine for Mm -hmm. free. So it was a big deal because, you know, who doesn't love a free flu shot, right? You would think everybody, but there still was some people who didn't want it. And I was a little bit mad about that. That's a different story. So that is September, October. Here comes November. We're pretty sure that the COVID vaccines are going to get approved. They approach me and they say, do you think that your university would be interested in providing COVID vaccines on a bigger scale? My background is that I went through both H1N1 pandemic and Ebola. So I was very familiar with um, incident command and disaster preparedness operations and had already gone through these mass vaccination campaigns with the points of distribution and points of dispensing, but definitely not in the era of COVID. So they reached out. I said, yes, 
I went to my administration. I said, we need to do this. We need to do this for the community. We need to get this done. And they said, okay, what do you need? And so I, we got on a call with the health department. We figured out all the stuff that we needed. By that time, the Pfizer vaccine had been approved. And then the Moderna vaccine was right on its heels. So we figured out what our storage capacity was. I submitted my information to the state. Luckily, the health department helped to expedite my application. So we were actually able to get our own vaccine to be able to store ourselves. I think it was the second week of January. And so this was like a month and a half of like getting everything together, getting all the supplies because the ancillary kits don't have gloves. They don't have band-aids. They don't have sharps containers, right? So we had to do all this investment and we had to spend all this money. And I think that's what was why we had so few sites at the beginning because there were so few people that could really make that financial investment. And so the university, they believed in me and they said, yeah, we need to do this. And so we did our first mass vaccination campaign January 9th. And we vaccinated uh, almost 200 patients. And we were so excited. We were thrilled. We pulled it off. Everybody was happy. We had this, you know, very boutique, you know, high quality vaccine experience, right? It was great. And I said, okay, let's keep going. So then the next clinic, we did almost 400. And then the next Saturday, we did almost 500. And then the next one we did almost 700. And then it just kept growing and growing and growing. And so we ended up having vaccine clinics at two different locations. So we have a campus in a suburb of Las Vegas called Henderson, and then another suburb called Summerlin. And so our two campuses, we did every Saturday. So two weeks, we would do two in Summerlin and two in Henderson, and then we would switch. And then we would honor those people's second dose appointments. And so it just, it grew. And then we started doing strike teams, which are basically going into the community and bringing vaccine into the community. Mm -hmm. So right now I went back to the gay and lesbian center, went back to that AIDS advocacy agency, went back to that food pantry. So we got all those people vaccinated. And then we established a, a primary site with a predominantly African-American community in conjunction with some faith leaders. So we've established that. And so now we are up to 6,000 doses administered between all of these vaccine efforts. And it's just been a wild ride. I am tired. I will tell you the first time I had had a break from the 12 hour days and the working every Saturday was on my birthday, which was in March. So Wow. So it was about 11 weeks straight of no break, but it was a labor of love. And, you know, luckily I had that relationship and that community partnership with the health department because that's how I learned how to do everything was because I went and I volunteered before at their mass vaccination clinics. I figured out all the stuff that they did and then I improved upon it. And I, I edited it a little bit in order to meet our needs based on the size and the facility that we were using. And I think that's really what I want people to know that I can bring to the table is that because I have all of this experience in mass vaccination and community vaccine campaigns that you literally just tell me the site, the space, the square footage, what supplies you have. And I will tell you exactly how many volunteers you need. And I can tell you exactly how many vaccines you can do an hour. <laughs> wow. And that comes with a lot of experience, which you were like sharing about. And like you said, you're doing it and you're learning it, right? Like your first boutique experience, 200, like, Hey, let's double that. Let's triple that. And that is just so impressive. Yeah. And I know you guys are getting ready for the next 
kind of wave for younger um, adults, right? 16. Yeah. So that's our big thing right now is that we really want those general practitioners, family medicine practices, pediatricians, offices to start being ready to receive COVID vaccine, in particular, the Pfizer vaccine, which will most likely get the EUA status for 12 to 15 year olds. Mm -hmm. That's probably going to be the next thing to come out as far as the recommendations. I think right now, obviously, there's a big focus on the J&J vaccine and the pause because of the issue with the rare but severe blood clots seen in younger women. And so it may take a few more weeks because obviously the CDC and the FDA are are worried about that right now. And ultimately, you know, I think that the vaccine will probably be able to be utilized again. It just may have some limitations. We saw something very similar with AstraZeneca. They have very similar mechanisms of action. They both work on that, um, you know, that viral vector, which is the delivery system. So it's a modified adenovirus. And so we think that there's something about that that may activate a part of the uh, cladding cascade, which may be doing something with platelets that may cause some of these uh, blood clots to occur. But again, we don't have all of the details. We're still investigating it. We just saw that there was now a seventh case. This person was in their forties as well. Also woman. They're all at this point, they're all white women, women, which we're not sure what that's about, but yeah, we learn as we go. The best analogy that I heard somebody say of how I was feeling right now that I so resonated with, they said, you're basically flying the plane while building it at the same time. Yes, you are. <laughs> and we're coming along with you on this, right? And I know we were talking about this, you know, uh, like vaccination for the 12 to 15. And it is such a eye-opening experience for a lot of parents too, because there's so much unknown. And me being on the other side, I mean, my kids don't qualify, you know, my oldest is 10. But still, like, as a parent, like, hey, like, okay, it's okay for me, but like, for my child, should I be more careful? It's always this thought that comes into your head of like, am I making the right decision? And I'm making a decision for them. Like, what would they say? Well, you know what I mean? It, it's hard. And like you're saying, you're building a plane and you're <laughs> flying it at the same time. I feel like that is like, for sure, the best analogy ever. And is there anything that you can give like a quick little tip for someone who is like worried or concerned? Like, what would you say is the best site for them to like keep up with things that are going on, especially if they're a clinician and they have their own sites and let's say they are getting ready or like what would be the best website for them to like go check this out? Or is there anything that you have your own resource center that you can direct us to go check out when it comes to the vaccines and especially for our younger adults? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So first and foremost, I would say you can follow me on Instagram and LinkedIn and Twitter. So I do quite a bit of media for my local news affiliates, as well as I post daily of all the most recent updates around COVID-19 vaccines, testing, just pretty much anything related to the pandemic and public health. So I regularly post there. So that would be the most up-to-date information. And then as far as websites to go to at Tried and True, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, with the new administration, there's a new focus on trusting the science, trusting the scientists. And I really do see that coming through. And then also your local immunization coalition. So my Mm -hmm. immunization coalition is called Immunize Nevada, but there is a, and I can provide this to you. So there's a national website for all departments of health, as well as all state immunization coalitions, and then also immunize.org. So immunize.org is the immunization action coalition website. 
which is a phenomenal resource. And so all, all of those, I think, would be a great place to start. And then really understanding what the vaccine availability is in your community mm-hmm. and seeing where the gaps are and then really making those community partnerships, especially if you are working in a community pharmacy setting, because that's really what we're, we're dealing with right now is not just getting the vaccine out quickly, but getting the vaccine out equitably. And that's going to be really difficult to do if we don't meet the patients where they are. Yeah. And because I keep hearing from a couple of my colleagues who work in retail, they're like, they're literally moving vaccines from a store to another store because there's this leftovers we don't want to waste it because they didn't have a process in place for no shows or getting people who are on the waiting list to bring them on board. Because again, they're all just like doing it as they're learning, but Which then because so stressful, yes. The messenger RNA is not supposed to be moved once you puncture it. And, and that's the thing too. I'm like, what is, what do you guys are doing? Like some of my colleagues are like still at work at like nine, 10 o'clock. They're trying to figure things out. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is stressful. <laughs> you know yeah. What I, I mean? mean, the appointment system was a huge thing for us. Like we actually purchased an appointment system mm. in order to better make sure that we utilize the vaccine. And then every time we vaccinated, we had a wait list. So we had a wait list at like 50 people deep so that if we did have extra doses, we started calling people on the phone and getting those people in, you know, it's still a little bit challenging because again, you know, the Moderna vaccine, if you have to open a vial and it's only for one patient, now you've got nine doses that you have to get rid of. Right. And so that is a little challenging, but again, that goes back to, you know, not drawing up too much vaccine. Also the fact that they just recently updated the storage requirements. So now once it's at room temperature, you can actually use it for up to 24 hours. And then once the vial has been punctured, you can use it for up to 12. So that does help to kind of lengthen the time a little bit, but the Pfizer vaccine is still limited. So once you thought it's six hours, once it's at room temperature, you got to use it within two. So, but those vials are only five doses in a vial. So it's a little bit easier because you only have to worry about five doses, potentially six, if you get some overfill versus the 10 or potentially 11. In some cases, I've even gotten a 12th dose out of the vial in Moderna. Oh, wow. I know yeah. my husband got Pfizer. Those, those syringes. <laughs> oh, the little ones. Yeah, my husband got uh, Pfizer in January and then I had Moderna in February. So it was just like, like you go first. <laughs> you're in the hospital. You're at front lines. I'm home. So I'll wait till let's see what happens. And then I was actually more excited to do the Moderna one because of the whole storage stuff. Because again, I wasn't getting in the facility stuff. It was a drive-through. Like, it was just a little bit like a chaotic Super experience. Super convenient, right? And yeah, that's it, the thing we want vaccine confidence. We want people, goes back to that thing I just said about, you know, like no trust, you know, I want the people who are giving me my vaccine. I want to like them. I want to know them. I want to trust them. And that happens when somebody you like, know, and trust gets their vaccine and talks about their vaccination experience. Right. I did a whole video diary of when I got vaccinated. Oh my God. I need to like go back and repost some of my stuff. I was recording it, but not really like to show up because there's still a lot of people who are like, don't do it. What do you not? It's like, why are you doing so early? What are you like? I was like, you guys chillax. Like it's not the end of the world. Like seriously, just Trust relax. The the <laughs> I'm like, just relax. You know, it was just all these people like you're at home. You're not working on front lines. Why are you rushing it? Like I was like, you want to travel, don't you? 
Exactly. And you know what? That's exactly why I did it because my mom, you know, she's in Florida. I'm here in California. And I'm like, mom, I'm not going to have you travel during this global pandemic. And I'm going to come and see you. And that's why we have to be all fully vaccinated and make sure we're like ready to roll because you have a lot of autoimmune. You have your immunocompromised. Like, I'm not going to bring you something that I know potentially can hurt you. You know what I mean? And that's what it was like. My whole thing I was like, nope, I'm going to get as soon as I physically can. You know what I mean? So I can actually travel and see my loved ones. And again, we want to go back to the normal, whatever the normal is, as soon as we can. So I I want the kids to go back to the school, enjoying themselves being kids and not being so like paranoid about every little thing, um, as there still are <laughs> a little bit here and there. Just like, like it's okay. It's it's not that bad, you guys. It's it's fine. Little germs are okay. <laughs> don't don't freak out. It's okay. You know, let's not forget what you were doing before COVID. Okay, let's not talk about that. <laughs> no so, worry. Right. So thank you so much, my love. I am like so grateful for your time, and I'll put all your links in our show notes as well too. Um, how to get hold of you and how to work with you. And do you have a website? You we can also um, announce for our listeners to get hold of you. What's the best way? Yeah, so you can visit my website at thepublichealthpharmacist.com. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time and everything you're doing. You're making such a huge impact to your community, which is so important and everyone around the world. So appreciate you so much. Absolutely. And just remember to wash your hands, wear a mask, at least for a little while, and get that vaccine when it's your turn. When it's your turn. That's right. Thank you, everyone. Thank you so much for investing your time with me on the Story Podcast. I am so grateful for your support and hope you feel empowered and inspired to give yourself permission to rewrite your story and become the best version of yourself. If you love this episode as much as I did, please take a moment, screenshot, and share on Instagram. Don't forget to tag me at Dr. Christine Manukin so I can personally thank you and welcome you to our community. You never know who needs to hear this episode right now. And I would be so appreciative if you would head over to iTunes, press subscribe, and leave a five-star review of the show. This way, together, we will expand our community and reach and empower more women. If you want to meet real-life Wonder Woman, let's connect on my Instagram at Dr. Christine Manukian or my website, drchristinemanukian.com. To be featured as my guest, please email me at drchristine at story.co. Until next time, live with passion. <music>